Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, and I'm the lead pastor at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And I am super excited that you guys are with us for another week of Venture Podcast. Uh, Man, we are going strong. Um, We've officially, uh, well, I I should say officially, next week will be officially uh, one year uh, that we've been podcasting, and and, uh, it's been such a great adventure, and and I'm uh, looking forward to continuing on uh, with your guys' support and, and uh, listenership and, and all those fun things. And, of course, uh, with God's help, uh, we'll be able to continue uh, pressing forward with uh, what we do here. And so I am, uh, like I said, I'm glad you joined us. And I believe that if you've joined us, you've joined us for a reason and a purpose. And, and uh, whatever that might be, I know God will speak to you today. I, I truly believe that, that uh, some, I'm going to say something that you needed to hear today. Uh, and uh, I'm ex- super excited for that. Uh, if you've missed the past few weeks, we've been studying a, a series called Anxious for Nothing. Uh, and so I'm uh, ready to say, who's here ready to hear the God's Word today? I hope you are. Uh, in the first week, uh, every single week, we started with a very powerful portion of Scripture from the, the book of Philippians uh, in chapter 4. And so let me kind of give you the context to what we've been talking about. The Apostle Paul more than anything else, believe that if he could go to Rome to preach the gospel, uh, this would be the most strategic move that he could ever make to reach people around the world. Unfortunately, though, through different series of events, he made it to Rome, but not as a preacher, but instead he was there as a prisoner. He was locked up 24 hours a day under house arrest, while at that moment he penned a letter to his friends the believers in Philippi, and that letter is now known, what we know as the book of Philippians. And if there's anybody who could have battled with anxiety, it was the Apostle Paul, because he was a prisoner awaiting trial, not knowing what would happen to him, would be, be would his life end early, you know. If, if anybody could be anxious, it was the Apostle Paul. And this is what he said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God... Okay, we'll guard your hearts. Some of you right now, you may be trying to make a decision, and the weight of the decision is is truly weighing on you. And uh, you say, I don't have a peace of mind. My mind is racing. I feel overwhelmed. I feel an angst. I feel a heaviness. I feel pressure. I feel afraid. Uh, in fact, based on my research, I found that one of the biggest forms of anxiety is what people would call decision-making anxiety. You know, what do I do next? I don't want to get it wrong. I'm afraid of making an irreversible bad decision. And that's why the title for today's message is this. When you just can't decide. When you just can't decide. And so those of you who have decisions to make, I wonder how often you're like me 
where you feel a little bit of anxiety about the decisions that you need to make. See, decision-making often feels very complicated. Anybody can relate to that, I'm, I'm sure, right? So, you know, something on the lines of, should I stay in this job or should I take another job? Or should I live in the city or move to a different city? Should I go back to school to further my education? Which would be an investment and take some time, but it might help propel my career further later on. And if I go to school, do I go to the school of my choice, which is really, really expensive? Or do I go to the junior college, which is closer? And the education might not be as good, and that might hold me back, you know. But at least I won't be in debt, and I don't really want to be in debt. And should I stay in this house that I'm renting, or should I try to buy a house, or should I keep this car that I've been driving and try to nurse it along and hope it doesn't die? And maybe it'll build my faith and help me grow closer to Jesus Christ. Or, or should I invest in a, a better car, and hopefully that would be a wise decision. And should I continue to date this guy who just won't seem to commit and all my friends call him Mr. No Commit? Or should I cut my losses and hope the cute guy at my work would hear from heaven and ask me out? I just don't know what to do. It often feels so complicated. The decision-making process gives you anxiety. And this may be exactly where some of you live. It's complicated. In fact, the emerging generation, those of you that are high school and college age, Gen Zers, you know, some of you are saying that this is the most stretched age group uh, in the history of the world. They call it the age of anxiety because there are so many complications. In fact, I want to try to answer this question today. Why are we so anxious so often around decision making? I'm going to give you two reasons, although there could be many more. I want to focus on two reasons. Why is it so complicated? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, the bottom line is this. We have too many choices. They call it the paradox of choices. We tend to think that if we have more options, it's going to be easier, but that's simply not true. It's a little bit like if you are scrolling on Amazon or Netflix or Hulu or whatever you use, and there's an unlimited number of choices of shows to watch. It's hard to make a decision, right? We can, we can all relate to that. But if you only have regular TV with maybe two, three, four channels, right, back in the old days, uh, then there's only going to be four choices to choose from, right? You have limited choices to choose from. So the limited choices should drive you. It's a paradox of choices. We live in an age with unlimited opportunities. We can go anywhere and do anything. And that gives us a sense of anxiety. In fact, this week I was researching the paradox of, of choices, and I read article after article after article that, that quoted the same source that said children make about 5,000 5, decisions a day. Okay, Adults, though, uh, make about 35,000 decisions a day. And it's no wonder we're so stressed out as adults, right? Then I read other articles that argued against those statistics, and they said that they, those, those ones that I read earlier were inaccurate. And so I couldn't decide which one to believe. The bottom line, though, is this. Whether it's 35,000 or 5,000 decisions, we're making so many choices. The paradox of choices often creates anxiety. So why do we feel so anxious? One is because we're, there are so many choices. The second reason, if you want to write this down, if you're taking notes, is this. We're afraid of making a costly mistake. We're afraid of missing out. And to put it into spiritual terms, we don't want to miss God's will. So what do we feel? We, we, we get this pressure to get it just right, right? Culture says when it comes to marriage, you, you got to find the one. 
The spiritual journal you're reading says, pursue your purpose. Then your pastor says, let's, let's live for God's will, right? And at the front of your mind, you're always worried, what if I miss that one? What if I don't find my purpose? And, and what if I'm out of God's will? I mean, what if that one special one is three rows ahead of me in church one day, right? And, and this is my only moment. You know, you see that person, maybe it's a female that you see up there, she's worshiping Jesus, and she has no ring finger on her left praise hand, right? And this is your moment. And if you miss out, you're doomed for a life of being miserable, worshiping all by yourself, right? What if I miss this one? And so we often fear, I don't want to let somebody down. I don't want to make the wrong choice. I don't want to let God down. I don't want to make an irreversible bad decision. And so what do we do? We hesitate we stall, we procrastinate, we become indecisive. A while back, I was talking with a person who was very, very indecisive, and so I wanted to help him see his issue, and so I asked him, hey man, do you think you battle with indecisiveness? And God is my witness. He looked back at me and said, well, yes and no, I'm not quite sure, you know? Indecision is a decision, and it's the decision that so many people are making today. It's just so complicated. So what I want to do today is I want to try to uncomplicate it, okay? I'm going to try to tell you don't complicate it. (laughs) That's a simple principle, right? What I want to do is I'm going to lead up to that principle, and I'm going to build a foundation from a a very powerful story I think you'll enjoy, and then we're going to look at that one simple principle of don't complicate it, okay? So we're going to look at the story in Acts chapter 15, where some of the leaders of the church were dealing with complicated issues. We had Paul, we had Barnabas, uh, we had James who, who met up in Jerusalem, okay, to deal with some of the controversies. And some of the controversies they were dealing with is like this one. If, if you're a Christian, could you eat certain types of meat that some traditions would forbid? Okay, then the really complicated question came about was this. If you were a Gentile, would you have to be circumcised too? Would you have to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus? Which I, I kind of think uh, it's kind of funny to me when you think about it. If there was a membership requirement today, it's, if that was a requirement today, think about this. It's difficult enough to get men to be baptized in church already. Could you imagine me standing before the church congregation and say, hey, men, do you want to join the church and be a follower of Jesus? You got to be circumcised. So come on forward right now. You, you know they're not going to. They're going to run uh, right out the back door, you know, and and head out the head out the church. So here they are, these guys. They're they're trying to make these weighty theological decisions, doctrinal decisions that that determine someone's eternal destiny. And these are the early church leaders making these incredibly weighty decisions. Okay. And so I want you, I want you to listen as, as we read these conclusions. Okay, it's Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at three specific uh, verses. They're verses 22, 25, and 28. So if you want to write those down and look at them a little later, right now you can just listen to them. Here's what 22 says. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barabbas, and Silas leading men among the brethren. And then in verse 25, it said, It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. 
And then in verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. And it goes on to list some essentials. In other words, it seemed right to simplify things, right? And not to raise the the barrier to invite people to, to follow Christ. It seemed good. That's what each one of those scriptures started with. It said it seemed good, right? So what do you do if you don't know what to do? What do you do if scripture doesn't speak directly to the decision that you're trying to make? I, I could preach a message saying just do what seems good, okay? I could, we could talk all today about, hey, let's just do what seems good. What God feels like we say that seems good and what other people think seems good, that's what we should be doing. There's one problem. In the Old Testament, okay, there's this verse that says this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It seems right, but it leads to a very bad spot. So why could both of these be true? Well, let's start with the Old Testament piece, okay? It said, again, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but at end, at the end, it leads to death. So if you're taking notes, this is the reason why, okay? If you're around the wrong people, listening to the wrong choices or the wrong voices, and living for the wrong values, what seems right will often be wrong. Okay, I want to say it again because this is this is very important. If you're in the wrong crowd, if you're listening to people whose opinions are different from that of God's truth, if you're consistently following worldly values instead of spiritual values, and you're surrounded with people that are not close to God, then oftentimes what seems right will actually lead to something that is incredibly wrong. How many of you have found yourself in the wrong crowd around the wrong influences, listening to the wrong voices, and you did something that seemed right, but later on you said, well, that was the wrong thing to do? You know, I bet you can relate to that. There's a way that seems right to man, but at the end it leads to the way of death. I think we've all been in that situation before. But here in the New Testament, we have some of the spiritual leaders saying it seemed right And therefore, we built the foundation of the church on something that just seemed right. So how could Paul and James and Barnabas and all these guys make such weighty decisions on something that just seemed right? Well, earlier, we read three different keys, and and we just kind of read right on by them. The most important portions of the scripture of the story, and most likely without even noticing, we kind of just breeze through them. So I want to look at again, look at them again, and at the very same verses that we just looked at, and this time I want to focus on something besides it just seemed right or just seemed good, okay? So when I read those, kind of put those aside and listen to the others. So I want you to see how they could do things that seems right, all right? This is how, verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. Okay, now, Listen to that. This wasn't something that seemed right to one person. It seemed right to the whole family of God, okay, that they were all gathering there, and they all uh, felt that, the whole family of God. Okay, now look at verse 25. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Another version of that uh, uh, says one accord, okay? In other words, the whole church agreed, and they were unified, okay? And then the scripture goes on in verse 28, says, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. And this one is is so important. 
Because there's a massive difference between something that seems right to a man or to a woman that in the end leads to death. A massive difference between something that seems right to one and something that seems right to a community of faith-filled, mountain-moving, devil-kicking, spirit-filled followers of Jesus who have been seeking God's word and following the voice of his spirit, okay? Don't miss this. They were able to act on what seems right because the whole church agreed, because they were of one accord, because it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and to them. And this is why what I'm about to tell you is one of the most important things we'll, we'll all ever say all year long and going forward, okay? You as a person do not go to church, okay? The church is not a building, It's never been a building. It's not a destination. The church has always been and always will be a people. It's not a building to which you go. It's an identity for which you embrace. We don't go to church, folks. We are the church. Also, the church is more than a one-hour meeting every now and then on the weekend when you don't have anything else going on, okay? It's kind of like, hey, honey, you know, what do you want to do this weekend? Well, you know, my football team's kind of out of town, so they're not playing, and, and kids are, are in school, so that kind of ruins of us going to Lake because we couldn't take a long weekend, and, you know, and nobody's got soccer this weekend, and, and the weather's not nice enough to really do anything outside per se, but it's not raining too bad for us to have to stay home or anything, so, you know, we might as well go to church, honey. Let's go to church. No, it's not a place we go. It's who we are, okay? Well, you might say, I'm just looking for a church that meets my needs. I just want to find a church that meets my needs. The most selfish and unbiblical statement around, okay? That is the most unbiblical statement around. The church is not a place that meets our needs. We are the church, and we meet the needs of this world. Why is it that so often we feel anxiety? It's because we're trying to Christ and trying to please God outside of the context of this institution created to serve as, serve as his body, okay? The body of Christ. It's a family. It's a body. And we are incomplete without the other portions of the body. So, so what do we do for one another? You know, when I'm talking about life groups, uh, whether it's at, at our church or here on our Venture Podcast, um, I'm, this isn't a program that I'm just trying to get people into, okay? You know, like, hey, we filled up our life groups today. It's all perfect and good. No, this is a life group, okay? This is a family of people. So whenever you start to stray, because we all do, or we all get to that point, right? Everybody else can go, no, hey, come back here, you know, uh, be a part of us, okay? Whenever we hurt, what do we do? Well, someone else prays for us, Right? And whenever someone else hurts, we pray for them. Whenever there's a need, we meet these needs together as a life group, right? We are a family, you know? It seemed good to us and our whole family, okay? This wasn't a decision uh, that we made in isolation based on my feelings, my institution. This is the family of God. And so we're going to help you out, gathering together and recognize we believe this this is God's direction. We're going to help each other out. That's the difference. It seems right to a person, and it can lead to death. But when it seems right to a community, we can trust God on a whole different level, okay? So don't complicate it. 
In fact, let me take you back through the previous weeks and just kind of review where we've been, okay? We, we, you, if you've been here with us or listened to us for, for, for the last four weeks, you, you would recognize some of these. And if you've missed some of these, go back and listen to them. I, I encourage you to do so. Week one, number one, if, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about, right? What is, what is anxiety? It's a signal learning us it's time to pray. Uh, week number two, we talked about in the church was we recognize we don't always have the power to control, but we always have the power to surrender. And week number three, last week, because of who God is, we praise him, not just for what he does, but because of who he is. And a perspective of praise changes everything. It may not take it away, but it does change your perspective on things. My one thought uh, of how do we make the decision because it feels so weighty, I don't want to do the wrong thing, I'm scared to death to miss it. What if I make a decision I can never get it back? What if this is the one place, okay? The one thing is what I'm going with it is, my one thought is, with a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what seems right. With a posture of prayer, that isn't me deciding, right? That This is us deciding, seeking God with a perspective of praise. This is us coming together as a church and, and the listener group on Venture Podcast, okay? And rec- recognizing God is always good and he's always with us. This isn't about me just seeking God. This is us seeking God, his body. We will seek God, then we will do what seems right, Okay, it's not an unspiritual thing to do. It's an incredibly spiritual thing to do. It's a little bit like whenever you're driving, okay, and your GPS is telling you you take the next right. You, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. If you follow a GPS, your GPS will say, you know, something on the lines of, in a half mile, turn right. Now, I chose the voice on my GPS through my phone to have the British voice because every time I heard the other voice, you know, going off, it seemed like it was always yelling at me. But the British voice comes on, uh, the female British voice comes across a little more polite. And, and she says, in a half mile, please take the next right. I think she even actually uses the word please. I'm not, if I can remember, I think she does. And, but here's what's, here's what the deal. Either way, what always freaks me out is sometimes there's like a, uh, a next right that's like right there. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's got two rights right after one after another, and you're and it's telling you to take a next right, and you don't have time to look down on the screen. You have to make a decision to turn right. Okay, and and, and so you 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 kind of get that freak out moment, right? Right? Like which one? Which is the next one? And and I personally, I always panic. I almost take the first one just to be safe. But then I question myself, what if I take the wrong one? What if that was the wrong turn? What if it isn't the right one? What if I really messed up and all these things are going on? You see, Paul could have said, I didn't take the right one. I wanted to be in Rome as a preacher, but here I am as a prisoner. And then remember last week, he said, hey, but I want you to know that what has happened to me right? Which, which felt like a wrong term for him. He said, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You know, maybe I got off where I didn't want to get off, but my God did something that I couldn't do on my own. And that's why Paul was the one who said in Romans eight twenty eight, we know that our good works in all things in everything, our God is still working to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, one wrong turn isn't going to keep you off of God's path. It's not going to take you back to his destination. You may just hear that female British voice saying, rerouting, rerouting. 
You know, it's taking you on another path. Some of you, you have made a, a wrong turn and you're going on another path. And some of you have made more scenic route paths than any 10 people put together, okay? You, you've gone all kinds of different paths. But the voice of the Spirit is rerouting. He's still taking you there. And the good news is that our good God has a way of bringing good things even out of wrong turns. That's how good he is. You know, for example, I should have never dated him. No, you probably shouldn't have. The fact that his middle name was Satan was a good, in, good indicator that you shouldn't have dated him. But now you understand what a godly man should look like. And, and when God brings you one who cherishes you and honors you, you will recognize it and you'll be grateful. Maybe you made a choice of, I should have never trusted that person. I got burned so bad. And oh, man, that, that hurt. But now you're learning to forgive. You're becoming more like Jesus. Or I, I should have never done that. It's a big mistake. How many times have we always said that? Man, I should have never done that. It cost me so much. But here's the deal. Now you understand God's grace like you never have before. He's good enough to work through our wrong turns. Now, I know this series has not been for everybody who's listening in, but but it has been for some of you. Uh, I've had... Uh, I've heard from a few people, and I've, I've seen uh, in, in my own in my own congregation's eyes of this series, and I feel it in in, in the conversations we've had back and forth. And I want to close this series by saying this: with a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God and do what seems right, because we will rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again: rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all because you are near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, we present our request to you, O God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, that concludes another Venture Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the series of Anxious for Nothing. And I hope you're looking forward to next week as I am on their new series called I Choose, where we will discuss four big choices many of us don't know we're making, right? I'm super excited to share with you. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.